All right. Good morning, everybody. He is risen. Yeah. We are so glad to have you out, whether you are a longtime CTK Ferndaler or whether this is your first time here. We really pray that today you would encounter not just a church that likes to get together and have fun and laugh and sing, but we pray that you would encounter the presence of the living God here today. And we have been praying for you and believing that God is going to show up in your life today. And I really believe that there are some of you that, that are here today or maybe you're watching online and you just thought you're going to show up to an Easter service because it's an Easter service. But I really feel like God is saying that he wants to bring some change, transformation. He wants to work in your life in a way that you had no idea he was going to do this morning. So I just encourage you, like, have an open heart for what God wants to do and what he wants to say in you. And and because uh, when we when we sing about how he's alive, we really do believe that. And if he's alive, guess what that means? It means he's here. He's here right now, and he wants to speak to you and moving your life today. And so uh, we're so excited that you're here. And, uh, you know, for as far back as I can remember, uh, I... Easter has always been a big thing in my home. So I grew up in a, a, a pastor's home. My dad was a pastor, actually up in, in British Columbia. My dad pastored several First Nations churches all along the, the West Coast. And whenever it got time for Easter, when, when winter began to fade away and spring would begin to show up, everybody knew that it was Easter rally time. And where I grew up, what, you were going, what, what the heck is an Easter rally? Well, where I grew up, Easter rallies were these three-day events that would happen every single Easter, and people would, would, would drive from all around and converge on one place. Some people would come in on their boats, and it was just this whole weekend-long deal. It would start Friday night, go all the way through to Sunday night. There'd be these, these long, like four to five hour-long services. Um, we would feast on salmon and herring and there was always tons of cake, and there was always lots of cookies and all that kind of stuff. And the presence of God would show up as broken, hungry people encountered him. And I, I was blessed to grow up in an environment where you didn't have to try to convince me that Jesus was alive because I got to see it. I got to see it. I got to see him show up in people's lives all the time. And this continues to tell today. You know, I look out this morning on, on, on you people that I know and, 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 and some that I haven't met yet. And I, I just know that God has brought you here, that the living God has been at work in your life, bringing change and transformation, and, and he, he's alive. And whether, whether you believe in Jesus or not, my hope is that by the end of this morning, you will, you will have encountered him, that he will have shown up in your life, and, and you'll, you'll know something will shift, something will change. The story of, of the, the first Easter is found in... So in the Bible, there's four accounts of the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the names of the books. And the, the Easter story is in all four of those, those, those accounts. And today I want to read the account that was written by a guy named John. So John was one of the 12 disciples that Jesus chose. Uh, Jesus actually had three disciples that he really kind of poured into and, were, and was, was close to. John was one of those three disciples. And uh, him, him, along with his brother James and Peter... And John, just a little bit about John and who he is. John, by nature, is inquisitive. He's a guy that pays attention to detail. Um, he's a hard worker. He's a faithful friend. 
He's a guy of, of power. Jesus actually gave him and his brothers the nickname Sons of Thunder. And John is also somebody that loved Jesus very, very, very much. And at some point later on in his life, John, after Jesus has ascended back up into heaven, John grabs a pen and a paper, and he writes down um, everything that he remembers about Jesus. He writes about the miracles. He writes about the details of, of, of some of Jesus' most important teachings. In the book of John, you're going to find lots of details about some of the things that Jesus said. John writes about the cross, and then in John chapter 20, he writes about the empty tomb. And in this particular account, he is, he's in the story, but instead of writing in the first person, John's going to write in the third person, and he calls himself in this story the other disciple. So as we read the Easter story this morning, and you hear the, the other disciple, that's John writing the story, and he's writing about himself as the other disciple. And he writes this, Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, this John, the one Jesus loved. Love how John just had to sneak that in there. John is convinced that he's Jesus' most favorite disciple. The one Jesus loved. So Mary, she sees the, the stone rolled away, the tomb is empty. She goes running to Peter and John. And the Bible says that she said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Now, just imagine this. If you've, if you've been around the church, you've probably heard this story a time or two, and maybe some of the details kind of get lost on you, and even the significance of what's happening here in this moment can kind of just go over your head. But just let's just sit here for a second in this moment. It's like Mary has gone to the graveside of a loved one who has just been laid to rest. She shows up at the cemetery... And the ground has been dug up, so to speak, and she looks in and the casket is no longer there. That's essentially what has happened in this moment. And at first for Mary, this is not glorious and joyful. This is very, very, very disturbing. And so after Mary tells Peter and John what she's seen, the Bible says, so Peter and the other disciple, there's John again, they started for the tomb, both for running, but the other disciple, John, writing about himself, he outran Peter and reached the tomb first. So apparently John is also a little competitive because here he is describing the most important event in all of history, and he just has to throw in the detail there that he kicked Peter's butt in the foot race. And I imagine John is, as he shows up at the tomb, he is just as shocked as Mary Magdalene would have been. He discovers that, that what she's saying is right. The tomb is, in fact, is, is empty, and as he approaches the, the tomb, he does so with, with caution. It's like he's approaching the scene of an unsolved crime. And the Bible says he, he bent over and he looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. He stays outside the tomb, just kind of taking in everything that he sees. There's a slab of stone there in the middle of the tomb where they, they would have laid Jesus' body, and the, the body should be there um, and shrouded in linen. You know, they wrap in the, back in the day, they wrapped the, the bodies in linen like, like a mummy, but the body is gone. John is perplexed as he's staring there in disbelief at what, 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 what's in front of him. All of a sudden, I imagine he, he hears the, the, the pitter-patter of Peter's footsteps behind him, and, and Peter shows up. He hears him breathing heavy, 
And unlike John, though, who cautiously and respectfully doesn't go in right away, Peter, who's this brash, type A, process-in-the-moment kind of guy, he goes barreling into the tomb. The Bible says, Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. And get this. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. And so, imagine this in your mind. There's a slab of stone, and on this, this slab of stone where Jesus' body should be wrapped in all these cloths, they look in, and like a couple of crime scene detectives, they both take in this scene, and they quickly see that something doesn't add up. Something is, is not quite right here. Mary's conclusion that the body had been taken doesn't add up with what they're seeing right in front of them. The strips of linen used to wrap his body are still there. There's, there's the body strips, and there's the strips for his head. They see them separate. Grave robbers don't unwrap the body and then carry it off. But even if for some reason they had unwrapped the body and carried it off, there's no way in a million years that grave robbers would have taken the time to then carefully place the body linen here and the linen for his head here. And I imagine that as Peter and John are looking at all this, that, that they just have goosebumps forming on their body. The only explanation for what they're seeing is that the body of Jesus somehow came back to life, floated up through the linen cloth, and left them lying on the stone path slab. And the Bible says that finally the other disciple, this is Peter, who had reached, or sorry, John, who had reached the tomb first, he also went inside. And then the Bible says he saw and what he believed. John was the only disciple who didn't need to see Jesus in the flesh. The empty tomb was enough. And John concludes the story saying as, as a side note, but we're actually going to hang out on this this morning. He says they still did not understand from scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead. He believed that Jesus had risen, but, but they didn't understand from Scripture that he had to rise. Then the Bible says the disciples went back to where they were staying. He had to, the Bible says. He had to rise from the dead. You know, there's a big difference between wanted to and he had to. Um, this morning, Becky and I were just talking a little bit about, we were kind of reminiscing and trying to remember, okay, what was our... What was our first Easter together? And the reason that we are reminiscing is because, so this last week, we celebrated 25 years of marriage. And, uh, and so we were trying to remember, okay, where were we? Our anniversary was April 4th. Where were we on that first Easter? What church did we, did we go to? And we have no recollection whatsoever, so we must have slept in or something. I don't know. <laughs> Honeymooning it, I don't know. But, um... This past week, we celebrate our anniversary, and, and yes, I've wanted to take her for a nice night out, wanted to kind of do something together with her, but, but there was also an element of I had to. You know what I'm saying? Or it would be our last anniversary together. And it didn't matter, so last week was spring break, and our kids were at home. It didn't matter. It didn't matter that she works a full-time job and I work a full-time job and we're busy. It didn't matter that Easter week is one of the busiest weeks for a pastor. None of that mattered. I had to do something. 
and I had to do something big. Now listen, I didn't, I didn't have to in the sense that it's a, a duty and I begrudgingly roll my eyes and I do it. I have to in the sense that if I want Becky to know how much I love her, I'm going to have to do something awesome on her 25th or she's going to get the wrong message. She, she, she won't be convinced. She won't believe. I have a goal in mind to let her know that she is my greatest treasure on this earth. <laughs> in order to get that message across, I had to do something awesome. This week was part one. Part two is coming down the road. But the Bible doesn't say that Jesus wanted to rise from the dead. It doesn't say that he wanted in the sense that he thought it was a nice idea to rise from the dead. The Bible says Jesus had to. He had to rise from the dead. There were some things that needed to be accomplished. There were some goals that he had in mind that required him to not stay in that tomb. They required him to rise from the dead. And this morning, I want to give you four reasons why he had to rise from the dead. You ready? <laughs> That's my cue for a little drink. All right. Reason number one. He had to rise from the dead to provide undeniable proof that death could not hold him down. Can I get any man this morning? You know, up until that point, in all of human history, death had won. Every time, death had won. You know, when the other team wins every time, it doesn't take long before you start to lose hope. Now, I've, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a dad. Uh, I have five kids um, uh, between the ages of 20... Three and uh, 13. <laughs> We've had a lot of sports over the years in, in my home. And we know what it's like to be on winning teams, and we also know what it's like to be on losing teams. And we have had years where the losing team never wins. And on losing teams, you parents in the room, you know how this goes. The season just can't get over fast enough. You're like, put us out of our misery already. Any Mariners fans in the building this morning? You know what it's like, and I know you're like, no, this year's different. It's different. But is it really? Is it different? <laughs> but, but, but up until the resurrection, you got to understand, death had won every single time. And, and it seemed like with, with, with Jesus, this would be no different. He's, he hangs on the cross, and he dies, and they wrap his body, and they put him in the tomb, and they roll the stone over. It seemed like death had won again, but God was like, no, not this time, death. Your reign is over. It is time for a new champion to step on the scene. And here's the good news for us. Jesus' victory over death can now be your victory over death. And not just your victory over death, your victory over death and all of death's close friends like despair and depression and sadness and, and, and addiction. Jesus' victory over death and all of death's friends can now be your victory because of the cross and because of the resurrection the death and resurrection of Jesus, you can have life forever. Scripture declares death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, oh, death is your victory. Where, oh, death is your sting. I love how God writes this almost like he's mocking death. Where is your victory? Where's your sting? It's almost like God is trash-talking death. <laughs> the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that victory can be yours. Follower of Jesus, 
Do not live your life as if you've been defeated. Do not live your life as if you have been defeated. Everything has been reversed for you because of the cross and because of the resurrection. Cor the corrupting power of sin, reversed. The separation from God, it does not exist. It's been reversed. The condemnation and the guilt and the shame, reversed. It is now freedom in Christ. It's now nearness to God. Rather than condemnation and guilt and shame, it's peace, it's joy. It's God being for you, not against you. Through Jesus, you have victory, even victory over death itself. You know, the day I take my last breath, I plan to stare death in the face and say, not this time. Because, because Jesus lives, death you lose too. And on the other side of my last breath is life forevermore. Reason number two. He had to rise from the dead so he could be enthroned forever as the king. So he could be enthroned forever as the king. If Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, nobody would give the crucifixion a second thought. Nobody. It would have been like watching a superhero movie where the superhero dies at the end. You know, can you imagine? You're watching Superman, and Superman does his thing, and he's flying around, he's taking on evil and all that kind of stuff. But then at the very end, Lex Luthor wins, and Superman loses all his power, and then he breathes his last, and they lay Superman to rest. And everybody in the theater is just sad, and the credits roll, and they get up and walk out. It doesn't happen like that, does it? Or imagine Spider-Man, you know, he goes to battle against Thanos, and, and he gets snapped away forever. You know, I, I don't understand people who cry in superhero movies when the superhero dies. You know why? Because you know he's coming back. If not in that movie, he's, he's coming back in the next movie. You know he's not going to be dead forever. They're going to make Avengers 4 and 5 and all that kind of thing. He's, he's coming back to life at some point. Well, Rich, what about Iron Man? Like, you know, like Iron Man, he didn't come back. But was he really a superhero? Or was he just a smart guy with a really nice suit? You know, I digress. But <laughs> Jesus, Jesus had to come back. He had to come back. The Bible says if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless in your faith is useless. He had to rise to not only prove that death and all its friends were defeated, but there was also a seat in heaven that had his name on it. It had his name on it. You see, the resurrection means that his kingdom, the kingdom of, of King Jesus, the resurrection means that his kingdom is now launched on earth as it is in heaven. It's why God's word instructs us saying, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is where? at the right hand of God. Jesus sits enthroned. You know, so many of our struggles, so many of our uh, things that we, we wrestle with in life, so many of the longings and the desires that, that we have, they would be satisfied if we made our lives about bowing humbly before the King of Kings. We'd have purpose, belonging, acceptance, community, which leads to another reason why you had to, to rise from the dead. You had to rise from the dead so that you could have the life that you were made for. He had to rise to, from the dead so that you could have the life that you, you were, you're made for. You know, so many Christians miss this about the resurrection. You think that the resurrection is just all about people going up to heaven when they die one day. It's about saved souls going to heaven. No, it's about Jesus being enthroned as king and his kingdom 
coming down to earth to your life, to your family, to your workplace, to wherever it is that you set your foot. It's about His kingdom come. It's about the living, breathing kingdom of God being ushered into your everyday life. And the resurrection marks the beginning of a new creation where God's kingdom is launched in all of its power, in all of its glory on earth as it is in heaven. It's like heaven and earth have been brought together. Yes, there is a component for all you theologians in the room. There's a component of the, the, the not yet. There's a part of his kingdom that, that is not yet. We're going to experience it in full somewhere down the line. But don't let that become an excuse for not seeking the kingdom here and now. And by the way, this, this is a kingdom worth seeking. The Bible says for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy in the Holy Spirit. Anybody want some right living, some peace, some joy? When Jesus came, his message was repent, for the kingdom of God is a long ways off. No, it was repent, for the kingdom of God is near. It is near. Life in his kingdom is the life you were meant to live, and you can have this incredible life in Jesus today. Today. But but some of you don't because you resist the king, you resist his kingdom, you resist his way, and the, and the reason is because you have the wrong idea of who God is. You have the wrong idea that he's out to get you, or you think that he's out to make your life just miserable and dull and boring, or you think that he's out to, to take a bunch of rules and laws and regulations, and he, he wants to just heap those on your shoulders and make your life even more difficult than it already is. You think he just wants to crush you under some burden that you need to live a perfect life. Can I read this verse for you this morning that's going to help you see the truth of who God is? The Bible says, but God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, in other words, we were far off from God. Dead in your sins means you and God are separated. There's actually, it's not even just separation. There is hostility between you and God. There's a hostility there. Dead because of our sins. And the Bible says because God is so rich in mercy, He loves us so much that, that even when we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Now, sometimes we read these verses in the Bible and, and, and uh, you know, the Bible was, was written in, in two different languages. It was, it was written in Hebrew and Greek. And so translators have come along and they, they, they try to tra take that and translate it into whatever language. So in this situation, translated into English. And sometimes the words in English don't quite carry the full, the, the, the full weight of what the original writers are wanting to say. Well, that word love here, in the original language that the Bible was written in, is this, this noun agape. And that noun comes from a verb, agapeo, which means to seek the highest good in the one loved. And you got to understand this about God. He is, he is not out to get you, God is seeking your highest good. 
He wants the very, 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 very best for you. Now, if, if I as a dad am after my children's highest good, does that mean that I'm going to try to make my kids' lives miserable? Does that mean that I want to just heap burdens on my kids? No, it means that I'm out to do everything within my power to bless my kids and ensure that their lives are filled with love, joy, and peace. That's what it means to be out for somebody's highest good. And, and, and listen, if God was, was all about making your life miserable by having you have this burden of adhering to some impossible moral code that you could never attain to and just be perfect. If that's what God was after, you know, the Bible would have been written by the religious leaders of Jesus' day and not by the, the, the people that, that wrote the Bible. Can I just tell you a little bit about the people who wrote the Bible? Um, God uses a guy named, named Moses who defies God, who disobeys God, and not just disobey him like on his own, you know, a, a, a secret kind of thing. No, he disobeys God in front of the whole nation of Israel. God works through this guy to write some of the Bible. And then there's David who wrote these incredible psalms that we have, right? Like, even if you've never been a follower of Jesus, you probably at some point have heard, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. You probably have heard a psalm. David writes a lot of those psalms, but David also in his life commits adultery. And not just committed adultery, but then he has his mistress's husband murdered. Then there's Peter, who's just this regular old blue-collar fisherman with a temper, who was a, a people pleaser. Paul, before he met Jesus, was a religious leader who oversaw the persecution of all kinds of Christians. God comes and works in these people's lives. He changes them and he transforms them. And, 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 and the good news is that at the heart of the kingdom is, is that even if we lived our lives to perfection, even if there was this moral code that we just, we, God said, you have to follow everything to perfection, even if we could live our lives to perfection, the Bible says that it's still not going to be good enough because we were born dead in our sins. Dead. You and I were born into this world spiritually dead because of sin. It's not that we were spiritually weak and that we needed to somehow buff up along the way. No, the Bible says you were born dead in our sin. We could never be good enough to be saved. Never. But there is someone who was good enough. There was somebody who took the punishment that we deserve because of our sin. There was somebody who was good enough to take that punishment, and his name is Jesus. He took our sin upon himself. And, and today, listen, you got to catch this. His offer to you today is not to take up a new religion called Christianity. It's not his offer. His offer to you today is himself. He's the living water. He's the bread of life. He's the one, the only one who can satisfy your heart's deepest desires. It's him. And he invites us to experience him as king. And not just experience him as king, but to experience everything that comes with life in his kingdom. That's his invitation today. And this brings us to the last reason this morning. Reason number four, why the resurrection had to happen. He had to rise from the dead so that you could know him today. So that you could know him today. You know, I can open up my history books and I can learn all about Julius Caesar or George Washington or Abraham Lincoln. I can know all about them, but I cannot know them. And I can't know them because they're no longer alive, but because Jesus is alive, his spirit is closer than you think. Closer than you think. 
you can know him like you would know a friend. And if you're looking for life today, if you're looking for life today, and I don't know what exactly that looks like for you, you know, maybe some of you showed up today because you've been you find yourself looking for something. You're just, you just are going through life. You're doing what everybody else does with, with their lives. You, you're going to school or you got a job. You got a paycheck coming in. You got the house, whatever. You, you have all that stuff, and you're, but you're deep down inside. You're going, there's something missing. What is missing? And maybe you've tried looking here and you've tried looking there, but you go, I'm still missing something. What is it? What is it that I'm missing? If you're looking for life today, it's, it's not found in having the right job. It is not found in having the right house. It is not found in having the right friend group at your middle school or your high school. It's not found in having a, a solid retirement plan. It's not found in doing good things for people. It's not found... It's not found in getting all your life together. You just think in your mind, okay, if I can just get my whole life together, if I can just get my financial ducks all in a row, if I can just get my kids all figured out, if I can just get my marriage all figured out, if I can just get everything perfect in my life, then I will find what I'm looking for. It is, life is not found in any of those things. Life, Jesus said, is found in knowing Him. That's it. Don't take my word for it. Listen to what Jesus said. He says, he says, and this is the real and eternal life that they know you, the one and only true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent. That's where life is found. And if the idea this morning of Jesus being your king or Jesus being your Lord or Jesus being the one who you go to, if the idea of that sounds like too much or it sounds a little extreme or it sounds like... It, if it, if it sounds like all that stuff, then you really don't yet know Jesus. You might know about him. You might have heard about him, but you don't know him. Because when you know him, when you put your faith and trust in him, and you follow him, and you make your life about him being your king, you make your heart's posture, okay, I'm, I'm going to surrender to you, God. I'm going to lay everything before you. I'm going to follow you, put my trust in you. When you know him, there is nothing in this world that could come close to satisfying like Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. We all have a choice today. Every single one of us listening. You can, you can just go on living your life the same way that you've always lived it. You can, in your mind, you can keep Jesus in the history books. Or you can even like a lot of people do, they keep him in the, the legend category. Like he's kind of like a legend, like, like an Easter bunny or like Santa Claus or the tooth fairy or something like that. And you can do that. God gives us this thing called, we call free will where he doesn't make anybody do anything. He gives us a choice, but that's one choice. The other choice that you have is you can respond to him with faith and trust, believing that he is alive and walk into new life knowing him in this kingdom that he spoke so much about. And maybe somebody's here, and you're, going, you're going, okay, well, man, if I could just, I wish I was back then like 2,000 years ago, and I wish I was there, and I, I wish I was there when he showed up to his disciples, and if I could just see him, if I could just see him, then, then I would believe. Listen, you have more evidence today for the reality of the resurrection than at any point in history. 
the early church, you know what they had? They had a handful, just a handful of people who had encountered Jesus. And today there are literally millions of people around this globe, all nations, all cultures, all backgrounds, who have encountered the living Savior and have had their lives changed. But, but, but get this. this. This is crazy. Not long, long, Jesus comes back to life and, and uh, you know, Peter and John and Mary, they, they see the empty tomb. And eventually Jesus actually shows up to them in the, fl- in the flesh. And um, Jesus is actually with them for, for somewhere around 50 days before he goes back up into heaven. And there's this moment where Jesus has risen from the dead and he's there with a group of about, the Bible says there's about 500 people there and they're on this, this, this mountain and just before they're getting ready, Jesus is getting ready to go back up to heaven. He gives the great commission, you know, go make disciples of all nations. This powerful moment. moment. And, and, and listen to what the Bible says. He's there with his disciples and the Bible says when they saw him, they worshiped him. What does it say? But some doubted. He's right there. Jesus is right there, but still some doubt. You, you got to catch this this morning. This isn't a seeing thing. This is a faith thing. It is a faith thing. Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. This all comes down to faith. Not just faith in the sense that you go, okay, I think there's a God out there somewhere. That's not what we're talking about here this morning. Faith in the sense that you go, okay, this person, Jesus, I'm going to believe what he said about himself. I'm going to believe that he is the way, that he's the truth, that he's the life. I'm going I'm to put my faith and trust in him. I'm going to have faith that he is life itself. I'm going to have faith like the disciples had that said, Jesus, I don't even know what it means to be a follower of you. I don't know what this whole Christianity thing is. I, I don't even, I've never cracked open my Bible in my life, but, but I, I, I hear something, I hear a voice that's speaking to me down deep inside here, and something is saying, this is real. Something is inviting me, saying, this is life, the life that you've always been looking for. And Jesus, I'm going to respond to that with faith and trust, with faith and trust. And as we wrap up this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus, to whatever he is saying to you right now in this moment. You know, you're maybe right now you're going, something is stirring inside. What the heck is going on? That's the risen Savior working and moving in your life. And I want to give you a moment this morning just to respond. I'm just going to ask right across the, the building if you could bow your heads for a few minutes here and close your eyes. And I want to give you a moment where this isn't about you and, and what Rich is saying up here. This is about you and what the Spirit of the living King is speaking to your heart right now. Jesus showed us there, there's one way to a resurrection life. And Jesus showed us what that is. And it's that, that way is you have to die. Die to your old way of living. Die to yourself and say yes to Jesus. And Jesus is calling you to new life today. Some of you, though, are, 
are hanging on to your old life. Maybe you've been hearing Jesus calling you, but you're hanging on to that old way of living, and you just, you're, you, you, you don't want to let go. It's almost like you're on, on, on life support. You're barely alive, but you're convincing yourself that this is what, what it is. You've got to hang on. And Jesus is saying today, I want you to kind of pull the plug, die to yourself, and be raised to life in me. Jesus is inviting you to life. Resurrection life awaits you on the other side of dying to yourself and saying, saying yes to Jesus. Saying yes to Jesus. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you that you're here, that you're speaking to us. God, I thank you that, Lord, your invitation to us today is not to burden. Your invitation to us is not to take up some kind of heavy load that we can possibly carry. Your invitation to us isn't that we would have lives that are filled with misery. God, your, your, your invitation to us is life and life to the full. A life that even in the middle of pain and suffering, we can have peace that passes all understanding. We can have joy that makes no sense in the middle of whatever trial it is that we have going on. We can be anchored even when the world around us is caving in, God, you invite us to this kind of life. And I thank you, Jesus, that you made the way for that to happen. I thank you, Jesus, that you, you went to the cross. I thank you that you took those fists in the face. You took those beatings on your back. You took that crown of thorns on your head. You took those nails in your, your feet and your hands. You did all of that for us so that a way could be made for us to be made right with you and have peace with you and then live life to the full in your kingdom. Thank you for that, Jesus. And as your heads are bowed, eyes closed, all I'm going to do is I'm just going to ask you in this moment if you just want to say yes to Jesus. Maybe that yes for you this morning is, yeah, I've never, never called myself a Christian. I've never put my faith and trust in Jesus, but this morning I want to say yes to him. I want, I want to say yes to his voice speaking to me. Maybe for someone else that yes is you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, but life has come along and it's just taken its toll on you. It's beat you down. It's caused you to doubt and it's caused you to question the goodness of God. And God is inviting you today to, to again come back to him in the middle of the chaos and say yes to him, to put your faith and trust in him, to believe that he is good and that he's working through everything going on in your life for your good and because he loves you. Maybe somebody else says yes this morning is, is you just have been hanging on to something. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's some, some hurt some unforgiveness from the past. Someone did something to you that you just do not want to let go of and God is he's saying there's a better way. Don't live your life in bitterness and anger. Live your life in forgiveness and peace. And as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I'm just, what I'm going to ask you to do is just if, you're, if God is inviting you and you want to say yes to him this morning, I'm just going to ask that you raise your hand, and I would love to pray with you. So if, if, if God is inviting you this morning, you want to say yes to that invitation, just slip your hand up nice and high, heads are bowed. 
make this a moment between you and God. Anybody here, you want to say yes. Awesome, I see your hands. You can put those hands down. Anybody else? Awesome. Anybody else? There's nothing magical about putting your hand up, but there is something to putting our faith into action and having an action that accompanies what's happening inside of our heart. Anybody else? God's inviting you to say yes to him in some way. Amen, amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all the yeses, God, in this room this morning. All the yeses from those that are watching online. And Father, I pray that God today would mark a new day. God, where you come in and just flood them with your life. I pray, God, that today would be a new day of freedom. I pray, God, that it would be a new day of everything just making sense in light of who you are. Everything making sense in light of you being the king of kings over everything. God, I pray that today would be a new day of, of peace. God, for someone who came in here this morning just full of anxiety and fear, God, may today be a day of new peace. Because, Jesus, you are alive. You are alive. God, we celebrate you. We honor you. We bless your name. There is nobody like you. God, may you be lifted high in our lives. God, you made you be, may you be lifted high in this church, in this city, in this county, we pray. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said... Amen. 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 Hey, if you, uh, before you leave today, if you're, if God did something in your heart this morning, you just want to talk to someone, I'm going to, I'm just going to hang out up here after the service is done. And if you need someone to talk with or pray with, I would love to do that. Um, we're going to actually end off by just singing a song about Jesus and who he is. Um, after the service today, we have a ton of cookies out there in the foyer. And so you're welcome to stick around. We also have an Easter egg hunt. I believe eggs are being hidden in the field right now as we speak. And so uh, um, that'll get rolling here probably in about 25, 30 minutes or so. But I would love it if you could stand with me. We're actually going to take an offering at this time as well. The bucket's going to go down your row as we sing this last song. If you're a guest, please just let the bucket pass you by. We are really just super honored that you've decided to join us here this morning. Um, but do me a favor, will you? Let's sing these last two songs with everything we have because Jesus is worthy. He, he is worthy of all of our praise, all of our worship. God bless.